Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. Doug, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we're here. This was uh, this was fun trying to get this on the calendar and uh, both of us chasing each other a little bit, I think. Uh, I started that trend off, so uh, I'm glad we're finally sitting down. And if this didn't happen, I don't think it ever would have happened. So uh, I'm glad we're here. Well, look, I think this is a timely episode. Um, you mentioned in your book, uh, you compare social media to a battlefield. And I think that is a pretty uh, apt description. How did we get here? Uh, how did we end up to this point where we can't have any discourse without it erupting into anger? Boy, you know, I think that's the question everyone has, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at some level, everyone knows that it seems to be becoming more divisive. And we don't really know why. Mm-hmm. And we're wondering if it's just going to get worse and worse until we can no longer function online. And for me, I'm not an anti-technology person. We all know the incredible strengths of technology. But for me, I've tried to figure out what is causing us to be so divisive. And the big thing for me is that the technology itself is dividing us, that uh, every medium is not neutral. It has strengths and it has weaknesses. But some mm-hmm. of the unique strengths of even of social media also become its weakness. Uh, It creates environments where when conflicts occur online, we tend to become more polarized and divided. And that's a lot of what I talk about in my book, Posting Peace, is the issue of we need to be aware of the technology. It's not just that we're terrible people. Mm -hmm. The technology brings out certain aspects of our humanity that are often not that conducive to reconciliation or trying to work together. Right, right. Yeah, that was one of my questions I wanted to establish in the beginning, because I think there are there is discourse about this where it's like, oh, these darn phones are really messing up our culture, you know, or and and that's not new discourse. Like if you read Neil Postman's book, you know, that he was saying that about TV, you know, back back when he wrote that. And so you know, ultimately there's a deeper issue there. There is the root human, like when two people get in a room, there's going to be a disagreement at some point. Um, but let's, let's talk about the technology side. Like, what do you see when you talk about weaknesses with the technology, what are you seeing specifically? Well, it's interesting as you brought up Neil Postman, uh, there's another technological theorist, uh, Marshall McLuhan. And he wrote, you know, he was, his height was kind of in the late 1970s. And he gave this phrase that really just sticks with me. The medium is the message. And every medium, whether it's the printing press or television or radio, uh, has strengths and weaknesses, but it actually influences our messaging. It influences what we communicate and how we communicate. And sometimes Christians don't understand that. They're just, you know, I'm just going to preach the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. The truth is the truth. And it doesn't matter how I communicate it. But we all know at some level, uh, there's certain aspects that can be communicated online or communicated on TV or radio that are different than if we had in-person communication. So I go through all those things. Like one of the practical things is internet communication is primarily disembodied in that you're not present in the room with the person. And there's so many emotional cues that we get from being in the room with someone. 
uh, you know, you and I in a, in a Zoom context, we can see each other's, you know, facial expressions. Yeah. But most of our conflict online and on Twitter is people begin to write. And when we write, we just kind of read into that reality. So we can't see people's eyes. Here's mm-hmm. just one simple example. Uh, empathy. Studies have shown that at some level, human empathy rises up when we can see someone's face, when we can mm-hmm. see their eyes. And even as we become more of a screen culture, we tend to be less empathetic. We're not looking each other in the eyes. You can all think of a time when you first hurt someone with your words. I, mm-hmm. I think of in kindergarten where I said a very insensitive thing to another kid. And I remember seeing his face change. Mm. And that face change influenced what I said next. Well, on social media, we, we don't see those cues. And if we're upset with someone, we think they're angry with us as we're angry with them. They might be weeping. They might be shaking. They might be vulnerable. And they might also be angry and snarling. Yeah. But those contexts are removed. And that's just one vocal intonation, right? That's another area mm-hmm. that if you can't tell the tone as a pastor, you know, I've sent emails to people where I'm just sending it politely. But if they think I'm mad at them, they're yeah. reading it with an angry voice. Yeah. So that disembodied reality influences how we deal with the conflict. And there's many, many other issues we can get into. But I want people to think about that of how the technology is different than in-person communication. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a quote. I think it was from maybe Gary Vee, but he talks about content is king, context is God. You know, like your content is one thing, but how you portray it and in what light and in what platform is going to affect how people interpret that. And especially too, I mean, I, I, I noticed this with some of the content that I'll put out is people will get upset about what they think I'm saying versus what I'm saying. And that's my biggest like that just like puts a pit in my stomach of like, how are you reading this and, you know, reading into it, all of these things that I'm not saying, uh, but we, we take out so much, like they don't know the tone I wrote it in. They don't know the right. tone that I set it in. Uh, even if there is a snippet, you know, it, yeah. maybe it's a 60 second snippet from a podcast, you know um, it's hard to judge without having full context. So we should just throw our phones in the ocean, right? Like we should just <laughs> yeah. be done uh, well, you even hit hit at that, right? Why do people segment us into the strength of the social media age is we can unite with people like us, right? There's a strength. We can find people yeah. with similar likes and interests, hurts, pains. There's good to that. But what have we become more binary in our thinking mm-hmm. where immediately we're processing people into dogma categories, uh, ideological categories, political categories, instead of first seeing the human yeah. And we've all experienced that where someone gets one part of us and then they make all these assumptions, begin to immediately sort us into that group mm-hmm. and they miss seeing the human. We just become an ideology or a doctrine or a dogma. Right, right. Well, and the algorithm has gotten so good to yeah. where those people don't break into our ranks very often. Like our, uh, you know, I, I'm always fascinated when my wife and I, you know, are spending time scrolling through our social media feeds. She's like, did you see this? Did you see this? And I'm like, no, I haven't seen anything close <laughs> to that. And she'll be scrolling and I'll look for 10 minutes. I haven't seen any, you're experiencing a completely different world than I am. And I'll be scrolling and she'll be like, what's that? What's that? And I'm like, this is, you're not seeing this on your feed, but it's all like-minded people. For me, my feed is filled with people that love watching movies. It's people that love these certain interests It's people that like these certain type of books, uh, have these political views, have these religious views, have these fill in the blank. And so when the algorithm lets someone slip in, who's outside of that, it's jarring. There's like this moment of, you know, how did they like, who is this? Why is there some radical so-and-so on my page? Or why is there this person spouting this opinion? And it's true. We get this very binary, like, oh, they're not like me let's go after them. You know, it's yeah. like our, our instinct. Well, the technology, we all know that segments us at some level, right? People yeah. who like this movie will also like that movie. And so the tech is doing that. And then we're also doing that. The yeah. strength, I think it was Marshall McLuhan who also said is uh, every uh, technology extends a part of our human capacity, but it also weakens that part of our human capacity as mm. it extends it. Now that sounds kind of he- heady, but here's what it means. Like, the car extends our feet. You know, we can only walk a certain amount of a distance. Then the car allowed us to go farther than ever. That's a good thing. But what did the car also do? It weakened our ability to walk. We're lazy. We get tired when we walk anywhere. So it extended our human capacity and it weakened it. Mm-hmm. So what does social media do? It extends our capacity to meet all kinds of people, uh, our desire to connect, to have community. But it also weakens our ability to have community with diverse groups. So I can also segment myself that way. 
If I don't like somebody, I don't like their opinion, they make me uncomfortable, I block them, I mute them, I just mute them out of my life. And then I find people like me that, you know, feed into what I want and the kind of community I want. Well, at one level, that sounds really attractive. We all agree. But what happens there is we become more ideologically segmented. Mm -hmm. And then we don't know how to talk with people who are different from us. So the very strength of allowing us to have community with people that we really want to connect with becomes a weakness in being able to connect with just basic humans who disagree with us. So that's, again, where this technology is a strength, but it can also be a profound weakness in building healthy, diverse communities. Yeah, that that inability to have conversations with people who differ with us, even in areas that aren't primary issues, like serious issues, you know, the inability to talk to people who have different preferences than us is nothing new. I mean, this is something you mentioned in your book, working at a radio station and trying to have a very moderate show where you'd bring on different perspectives and talk. And you talk about the vitriol which I related to a lot in the book, receiving messages from people going, why'd you have so-and-so on, or you're you know, doing damage to this topic or all these sorts of crazy things. Why are we so repelled by those mm. moderate middle ground areas? And I would say, especially within Christian realms, like I think of, you know, I mean, think of early life and fundamentalism, like if someone had a minor difference of a Bible translation or what type of music they listened to, there was this vitriol inside of me toward them for not being the same. Yeah. You know, part of the book, I talk about just the concept of reconciliation, more just the theological concept. And uh, some of us were raised in environments where to be righteous is to be right. Hmm. And if we feel like we're not right, then we feel like we're not righteous. And there's a lot of guilt and shame in that. So the idea is I have to do all these things right to be righteous. And if I'm not doing those right things, then I'm a bad person. Uh, So what happens in environments like that? Well, one, we make what righteousness is, the things we already do, you know, so we just make a list of the things we do and we don't make the list of righteousness, other things that we don't want to do, or we become hypocrites and we pretend that we're doing these righteous things, but we're really not. But what I've found is even people who leave those environments, that legalistic fundamentalist environment of I to be loved, to be accepted, I must do things right. Sometimes they just collect a new group of doctrines and dogmas. So before it's like, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't go with those who do. The other one might be an issue. It doesn't matter if you ever drink. It doesn't matter if you ever smoke. It doesn't matter. And they just kind of make a law of that freedom. That's still not relational. The, The concept of all of us have to make our own you know, based on a relationship with God, our strengths and weaknesses, our own decisions in life. We can't just make a principle and a law that everyone lives by, because what I live by might not be good for you. You might shouldn't drink and I might should drink. I I can't make that judgment for someone. So what you find on the internet, when someone disagrees with me, if I'm legalistic, and I am legalistic in ways, I can say I'm not, but there's a part of me that gets offended and thinks the Mm -hmm. right person should do this. But if someone disagrees with me, it can't just be that reasonable people disagree. It's that they're attacking my worth because Mm. they're doing something I'm not doing, which is saying what I'm doing is wrong. And if I'm doing something wrong, that must mean I'm a bad person. Now, some people would say, no, 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 I'm not like that at all. But if you look at how you feel, if Mm. you get angry when someone disagrees with you, when you Mm. feel attacked in your personhood, that's a sign that at some level you believe your worth is on doing the right things and others viewing you as doing the right things. And if you do that, then relationships are dangerous because people are not going to agree with you. Man, the last three minutes have been really good. Um, and not to say the minutes before that weren't That's good, fine. but the yeah. last three minutes I think are so good. And and I think that idea of being right in order to be righteous is something that dripped out of my pores as a teenager. I mean, like I, I was like, I'm wearing the suit, I'm wearing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing all these things that are, you know, making me right. And then you look you know, I remember, I remember hearing people say like, oh, we're not like that skater church down the road, you know, because they do things differently. Um, and I also really love what you said. And I've noticed this a lot and I've gotten a lot of heat for it online when I talk about it, but I've noticed a lot of people leave these very fundamentalist, you know, right to be righteous kind of personalities within organized religion. They'll leave religion and say, I'm leaving behind religion. It's toxic. It's this, it's all these things. Then they go into the Richard Dawkins atheist, you know, community and become radical fundamentalist within that context to where when they find out someone's a, a theist, you know, just a theist, not even going into any other theology, 
like their instant reaction is like, oh, are you stupid? Like, how do you possibly believe that? Like, they won't have any kind of meaningful conversation. And people deny it happens, but I see it with political groups. I see it with religious groups. I see it with atheist groups. It's like a natural desire to be tribal. And it's yeah. it's scary. <laughs> well, and it's, it's the idea of I accept you as much as you agree with me. And that's really scary to be. And I sometimes think of it like this. Social media is where... Uh, you know, Jesus turned over the tables and we can talk about what that all means, right? There's a time to turn over tables, but it's almost like I'm in the t- temple trying to do something good, not, you know, sell things I shouldn't sell. I'm just trying to help people out. And people are just looking to turn over my table. And as much as I agree with them, they'll love me. But the moment I disagree, then they'll flip over that mm-hmm. table. And I find that on the far left and the far right, and I find it with moderates as well. So there's no one immune to this spirit. And that's the issue. It's not just ideology. It's not just doctrine. It's the foundation of where's my worth? Why do I have value? Or why is any human valuable? Why, why should I love you? It's because you agree with me. And can I withhold that love based mm-hmm. on if I think you're the right kind of person? Okay. Like I firmly believe that the oppressed should be loved and cared for, and in the sense of given priority in the context of our society does not give the oppressed um, priority. At the same level, I have to figure out how Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them, loan to them, and don't expect to be repaid. But I have to figure out that there's still a love to express to my enemies. It might be different. It might mean bringing justice to their injustices, but it's still motivated by love. So that means I can't unite with any group just based on agreement. Well, I'm more like this group. I'm more like that group. I must unite with Christ who turned over tables, but also laid down his life for everyone in that room. And so that's the part for me. That's a challenge. I can preach this. I can teach this. But the reality is I often want to just align with people or love them as much as they agree with me. And I think that works against the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. Reconciliation, you mentioned before we hit record. It's been weaponized a lot, you know, and I think that a lot of times people avoid needed tough conversations because they'll say the other side's bitter or angry or, you know, trying to do harm or whatever the things are. I mean, go to Twitter and look at any thread. You'll probably see these accusations of, uh, or these, uh, these calls to just forgive and forget and reconcile and be done. Um, You know, how do we balance this? You mentioned this is easy to say, hard to do. How do we balance having a spirit of reconciliation, kindness, love, basic respect for someone's humanity, while also taking firm stands on issues of, you know, injustice and so on, those things that need to be talked about, but do often lead to conflict. Yeah. Well, I I don't think there is any balance. I think we need to understand what reconciliation is. Hmm. Uh, Love is ultimate. Reconciliation is ultimately making room for people to come close to God and for us to come close together. And the way that is done depends upon what's happening. If someone is sinning against me and sinning against others, it is not loving to allow them to continue to sin. It's not loving to overlook that sin. If someone's abusing their kids, it's not, well, we just need to overlook this, forgive each other and move on. That's not reconciliation. That person is in danger with their existence with God and their existence with any human. They must get themselves right with God and right with the state and right with the laws. They live in a country of laws and rules and regulations. And if they truly understand what they've done, then they will go through the full weight of that justice. They will go to jail. They will serve the time. They will not demand any rights, but throw themselves before the Lord because they have sinned against their kids and sinned against God. Now there can be forgiveness for an eternal existence. And maybe there'll be reconciliation and that the family at some level will learn to love that person again. But that person has no rights to make demands on anyone if they truly understand reconciliation. They throw their lives into the hands of God and they do whatever they can to serve others without any expectations in return. I see that as love. Hmm. And so I think the problem for some of us with reconciliation is we think it is an issue of not being able to share that I've been sinned against. Uh, you know, not trusting someone, not being in community with someone. It's loving to hand someone over to Satan. It's loving to say, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. I'm not going to allow you to sin against me and others. And it's loving to confront that in the the social media age. Mm -hmm. But the goal still is that I want this person to be right with God. And that's the hard part because sometimes we don't. But I want that enemy to stop their sinning and to be right with God. And also, as much as I can, I want to be able to find God's heart for that person. 
And that's a motivation of the heart. I can't judge you on how you do that. You might have a different calling, a different background. You know, I'm a white middle-class male. I got lots of opinions, but I don't have the right perspective on life. I only have my perspective. Mm-hmm. So my issue is asking anyone, is your motivation for love? Even if you're challenging someone, calling them out, reporting yeah. them to the police, is it motivated by love? And I think all those behaviors can be motivated by love. The problem is I think sometimes if we're honest, we're not really motivated by love. And I don't want to talk about the most extreme enemy, but just someone we yeah. disagree with. The goal is not that we love them. The goal is to win the argument and be right because we believe being right is being righteous. And that works against reconciliation. Yeah, that's that's huge. And I, I'm curious how this tingles in. Um, and I don't think this is too off, far off of what we're talking about. If it is, uh, slap me around and we can go back a little bit. <laughs> but uh, but. You know, one of the things I think is really interesting is, you know, we talk about cancel culture a lot and we talk about the idea of removing voices that we would say are harmful or toxic. And, you know, one of the, one of the important things I think in a lot of this discussion is being able to have an open dialogue, point out the things that may be wrong or unjust or unkind. Uh, But what do you think about you know, limiting certain voices that maybe society deems harmful. I know this is a very big conversation. There's a lot of layers to it, but it's one thing that I just can't, you know, I can't wrap my mind around the idea of, uh, of eliminating certain voices from the the field yeah. um, who we may disagree with. And I, I have some more reasons for that I could share, but I'm curious to know. Yeah, well, one of the things, you know, even in studying this book, I have a, a a thing on how to deal with trolling. And it's not just let them sin against you endlessly. You know, the Bible talks about uh, warn a divisive person. I think it's twice and then have nothing to do with them. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement, right? The, there's these aspects of someone knows the truth now hand them over. It's the, the level of, uh, and one of the things I see with social media is negativity trends. And mm-hmm. I think we're sometimes letting the wrong people set the agenda. And I don't, I'm not going to mention any names because it bothers me with this, but there'll be some terrible pastor, just terrible pastor who says terrible things all the time. And he keeps coming into my feed. And I don't want people to feel bad who, who retweet and who criticize him. But I, this is what I just ask you is, are we giving him way too much authority? Some mm-hmm. guy in some small church and small churches aren't bad, but he's just in this little community. But because he says such terrible things, millions of people interact with him. We retweet him. We, we, you know, screenshot him. We write blogs and posts. The whole agenda of the week is on that one guy. And I just kind of think, I don't know if that was God's agenda for this week, that all of us would be focusing our energy on that person. That's part of what we're seeing ourselves in each week. Hmm. Something we don't like, someone who's just terrible sets the agenda and then we all interact with it. And I would think we're supposed to actually mute those people. Don't give them voice. Don't give them platform. The hard part is sometimes you got to speak against these things. You know, there's things yeah. that happen in the shadows. And then next thing you know, white nationalism has taken over the U.S. in the shadows or maybe not in the shadows. And we do have to talk about it. So mm-hmm. it's not an all or nothing legalism, but I think we could at least say, are we allowing some more positive, transformative voices to trend in our lives? Or do we just let the negative ones trend? Man, yeah, and, and again, there's not an easy answer for it, is there? It's yeah. it's a it's a hard thing, and and I think I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think I did a a post about it. So now I'm uh, now I'm second guessing no, myself. No, 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 I no, I think it is that that balance. Though it's like you, I mean, look, I I my show mentions names a lot, talks about negative situations a lot, and that's something that I've I've wrestled with every single episode. Is you know how much do you call out publicly something bad that's happening versus how much do you platform good examples of what should be happening? And there is no science to that. And, and I get, you know, speaking to, again, it's funny because there's so many examples of within the social media context, when I promote a pastor, you know, for example, who's doing good things um, you know, I'll have people go, you know, why are we, are you trying to make it sound like it's not all churches? Why are you trying to do that? Or, you know, why are you trying to distract from the fact that bad things happen? I'm like, I do a podcast about clergy abuse. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm opposed to talking about that. And then on the flip side, you know, if I call out a a certain pastor and I try to usually limit it to one post about them, if there's a story that's happening, like the one that you're probably referring to right now, (laughs) I don't want to keep doing that because that's part of the game that they're playing. That's their PR move. So 
there is that level too. When I talk about a bad pastor, then I have Christian pastors come in and say, why aren't you talking about me? I've been serving for 34 years and we've never had this happen. It's a really delicate balance. And it's, it is a very hard line between publicly condemning something that should be publicly condemned versus quietly dismissing someone that doesn't deserve the time of day. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this would be legalism if I said you have to do it this way or that way. But I yeah. think all of us have, there's, what are the issues? One, what's my calling? What do I want to give my best energy towards is another yeah. one. Uh, and then also, you know, there's some things that we have to speak to because people believe we don't care about them. And mm-hmm. so uh, for me, I can't just hide out like, you know how I feel. I probably need to be pretty strong about you know racial injustices because as a white man, uh, I've been able to just slide through life without really having to deal with that. So I might need to talk a little bit more about that than someone else who clearly, mm-hmm. you know, they don't need to speak to that. Their life em- embodies that struggle. So but I do think this is a challenge. I did a daily radio show five years. It was daily news, right? So whatever came out in the news, mm-hmm. we talk about it. But I often had, I'd say, I'd say my goal was truth, hope, and humor. Now that's just the radio show. I did stuff that was funny, but I wanted to be truthful and I wanted to be hopeful. I wanted to end with hope. Mm-hmm. So whatever I talk about, maybe that's the way to deal with it. Even if I talk about these injustices or these terrible people, I want to also advance something. Jesus tore down structures while advancing a better structure. And what I've seen is we're almost binary in that. We're either just tearing things down or we're not dealing with that. We're just trying to advance something. Whereas we speak against the Pharisees and religious leaders who are oppressing people, we're also advancing a community. As we're pulling out of some communities, we're forming another more healthy community. I think at some level we have to do that. And we're dangerous when we're just in isolation tearing down things, but not necessarily advancing something that's an example to follow because people need hope, not just to leave something, but to move into something, not just to speak against something, but to speak for something. And Jesus is ultimately our model for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes back to negative negativity trends that it is, it is very easy to tear down and it is very easy. I mean, even, even as a content creator, you know, which ultimately like there is some level of that where like I'm creating content, you know? And so there is some level and people can say, Oh, there's not, there's some level where you're going and say with the radio show, how many people listen today or how did, how did we do today? How'd the numbers do? And what's heartbreaking to me is that I'll put out an episode, for example, this episode, you know, like we're going to, we're talking very positively. We're going to be talking about, here's some tools for you to be a better human being. Ultimately that's kind of the conversation. And this episode is not going to perform as well as an episode where I say, pastor so-and-so does this and, you know, and hosts this event or does this thing like that episode is always going to outperform these. And I've had conversations that are amazing with people who are PhDs and trauma recovery, giving advice for how to heal and do this. And the episode of, you know, such and such a church had this controversy happen will always outperform. And so I understand when I see podcasters or YouTubers dwell on these stories and they ride the wave of these controversial people and they stop doing content that actually is helpful and builds up. Well, it's so tempting, isn't it? Uh, Mm -hmm. I I have a podcast, Fairly Spiritual Show. Everyone has to have a podcast and we all make it and pass it to the person on the right. So I have one as two, but I'll tell you the one that is the most popular. It's, you know, it was about Mark Driscoll. And that's before the rise of Solomon. Who's that? (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, and that's, I I was on the air when he was in Seattle and interactions and, Mm. and, and I felt it needed to be done. So I'm not upset about that, but it is very tempting to think, well, that's how you get listeners. Mm -hmm. And that temptation, which I think sometimes is even subconscious, if we're honest, we're not really in touch with what we're doing. Uh, I I think this is the, the, the struggle with social media is I need to intentionally look for the stories. I I can't just let trending topics set the agenda for my life. So that's another one. I I think about that because I have opinions like, okay, I can unite with those people and that's a genuine disagreement, but now what can I present? And that takes some work. I got to research, but but you're right to get even people to read it, to hear it, to see it. Like I think people think posting piece is just a book that'll make you feel bad about what you post online. And that's not my goal. The books that sell the most are the ones that are about them. What's wrong with them where you can all just read it and go, that's right. That's what's wrong with evangelical culture. That's right. That's what's wrong with, which has a place. 
Yeah. But that's not all our literature. There needs to be other literature as well. Well, I guarantee your book would sell more copies if it said how the alt-right is leveraging oh, yeah. social media or how the yeah. how the left uh, leftist agenda on social media is. Yeah. Like if you yeah. picked one of those sides, it would instantly change the, the reception. Yeah. Um, I, I love not going off trending stories. And that's something I read recently. I believe it was about Time Magazine. And uh, they... I think it was time. It was either time or life magazine, but they were saying how they were always as a organization, their mission was to get the story, right. Not the story first. And um, I wish I remembered who it was or where yeah. that article was, but it was talking about how they were okay with being late to a story, you know, but they would come in and they wanted to present it the best way. And so they would come in maybe a week later or two weeks later or a month later, but yeah. they'd have, a comprehensive article written on it with well thought out plans. That's another thing too, is like with trends, it's very hard to do that. Like, well, here's the strength and weakness of social media, right? What's the strength? Yep. Immediately I can post to anyone. That is a strength. That's really powerful. Yeah. What's the weakness? Immediately I can post anything. We know even Jesus, what he went away to be with the father to, to discern. Uh, we know in Capernaum, he was a, uh, Miracles were happening. People are coming to Capernaum. This is early in his ministry. And he goes away to be with the father and the disciples come to him and say, where, where are you? Like, there's all this stuff going on. You need to be where the action is happening. And then Jesus says, I, I need to go other places, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, even as a pastor, if a bunch of good stuff's happening in Capernaum, I'm just building the world outreach center in Capernaum and just having people come to me. No. But if you take a breath, if you take time to be with the father, uh, then you're like, wait, is this what I want to give my energy towards? Is this what it's about? And this immediacy is dangerous. I, I, one of the things we've seen is people forwarding on, you know, false information. Uh, if, you, if anyone listening here, if this year you forwarded on maybe more than one false story, you need to radically change the way you communicate and process social media. Hmm. I believe in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shall not bear false witness. And that is false witness. Christians should have integrity to the truth we share. And that means we have to go the extra mile and see what's true. I I see people go, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's true to the narrative they have. You know, they don't like Mm -hmm. that politician. So it's true to their view on Trump or true to their view on Biden or trying to throw all different groups and whatever it is. It's true, but maybe it's not a true story. And if you just took some time and looked at it and actually spent some research on that, uh, but that's what I see in that. It doesn't even matter if it's true. And immediately I have to get it out. And immediately I have to retweet and post. And um, that's another issue. Immediacy is great. But I first have to see if something's true. Uh, the other issue, what's motivating my response? And then third, did I spend time to make room for God to speak? Hmm. And I and does God want me to speak about it? And I still think that's true. It's true like in parenting. It's true with your marriage. Like there's sometimes I want to say something right away. But when I pause something else comes out, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, nope, not the time for a lecture for your kids. Time just to love them and apologize. This immediacy is a wonderful strength, but how often do you see us just pitchfork in hand, move in that direction, and we don't even know if that's a story worth talking about because we're just going with the immediacy of this technology. Yeah. Yeah. Immediacy is is dangerous. And that's something my wife's been a total like rock star about with that is that you know, I, I have, I've gotten my fair share now and it's a, it's like the, like everything, it's a blessing curse. Like people listen to the show, people pull clips, people share things, people do reaction videos and articles to certain things. And, you know, when there's been some particularly negative things that have been said about me that I know aren't true or that are blown out of context or whatever that is, you know, she's always the one saying, post about it tomorrow or respond mm. to it a week from now. Mm. And mm. there's, you know, there was a situation a few months ago where someone did a really long format video breaking apart, you know, a billion things that I said. And, and she was like, just wait. I kept saying, just let me respond to it. Just let me respond to it. and just address the stuff that's blatantly not true. And then, you know, the next day, just wait, just wait. And now it's been like four months. It's gone. I haven't responded to it. I don't need to. And, and, you know, and that's, I think that's just a wise approach. Mm. Sometimes the immediacy is good, but sometimes the people that know you best know, Hey, (laughs) step back. (laughs) Well, and here's the issue. What's motivating me. I want to fix things right away because I don't 
like the feeling that I feel with things undone. And I co-pastor with a man by the name of Dan Barons, who often just says to me, wait, Mm -hmm. just wait, because the motivation to fix it is more a motivation of fear or my own anxiety. And I don't want to be in that place versus this is helpful. You know, this is something I need to do. So I, I I want people to know too, who are listening because our personalities are different. And for some people, for our own mental health, we need to be silent. For others, for our own mental health, we need to speak something. up. Yeah, right. And I and I really believe that to be true. So if someone's listening, and it feels like you're judging the way I'm judging the way you're doing it. My wife is very different online than I am, but we have a similar goal: is that we make room for the love of God, and we find a way to make room that people know that we love them, that we humanize the conversation, so that if this is our first or last interaction, at some level, my attempt was for you to know that I love you. And even the information I'm communicating is not so I can be right and you can be wrong, but because I want to bring you truth because I love you. And I'm hoping that this truth will help you in life. Those are the motivations. How we do it can be different based on our calling, our giftings, and our own mental health. So what you're saying is you have an exact step-by-step process that we need to follow to be right. (laughs) That's what you were saying, right? My editor struggled with this with me and he was a great editor, but I think he wanted me to give more to-dos and my book's just full of questions, asking people questions, because I don't want to be an intermediary. I believe Christ went to the cross to remove all intermediaries so that we can come directly to God. So I don't want people saying, well, Doug says to do this and Doug says to do that. I'd rather have them say, here's the information. Here's what scripture says. Here's what the technology is doing. Here's what I do. Now, what has God called you to do? Now, it might be similar to the stuff I'm called to do. But it might not. And I think it's really dangerous if anyone is doing something just because the expert said to do it. I just think there's a power dynamic in that that I don't ever want. So I put in a few practical, lots of practical suggestions, but I call them suggestions because it'd be arrogant for me to say, I know how to, for you to live your life when I'm barely functioning in my own social media life as the rest of you are. Right. right. Well, I, I got to ask you this. I mean, obviously much of my audience uh, is Christian or comes from a Christian background. And I think uh, it's safe to say all of my audience, uh, regardless of which side of that coin that they're on, has found themselves frustrated with Christians on social media in general. Um, and, you know, I saw it just with the Super Bowl recently. We'll keep this timely. And with the Super Bowl recently, you know, there was a lot of trending TikToks, you know, poking fun at Christian's all caps comments on the halftime show, you know, and all that sort of thing. Um, You know, why do you think you've mentioned obviously religion, you know, God, and, and you've mentioned a lot of things that I think a lot of Christians would nod their head to in church, but within the social media realm or within even dialogue in general, it seems like that kind of falls by the wayside. Um, Why do you think Christians so often lean into such a polarizing approach to communication? Well, I think we're all trying to figure this out the last couple of years. I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life. I was even on a, I mean, like when I was two, I gave my life to Christ and I just kept recommitting my life. You know, just whenever I got scared, I was like, I better say yes and amen again. But, uh, and I was on a conservative Christian radio station. I was not conservative, but I kind of thought I knew that reactionary climate. And in the last few years, it's just been kicked up a notch where I feel tremendous alienation. Like, I don't understand why Christians are people who call themselves Christians focus on some of the stuff they focus in on. So, I mean, I might have opinions on it, but I just know that God has seen who truly is his, you know, he sees who truly is living for him Hmm. Uh, because to me, there are so many central things that we could be focusing in on that. I just don't understand these other issues, but I, I do think a Christian is defined at some level by reconciliation. That's the ministry. Paul said, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We were brought from death to life, bring what we received to others. So Christians who aren't focused in on that, I question whether they are Christ followers. Hmm. And so that's kind of how I would define it. I, I don't know if that's the church. I don't know if those people are Christians. If their primary energy is given towards trying to show we're right and you're wrong, it's kind of like partisanship. Christians don't understand the difference between partisan communication and Christian communication. Everybody has a political opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to have political opinions. We vote. We need to have opinions. But Christians, we don't communicate with a partisan approach, or we shouldn't. Partisanship, the goal is for me to win and you to lose. Hmm. 
The goal is for me to be right and you to be wrong, for me to get 50.5% of the vote and you to get less, for us to have control, you not to have control, you go away, you leave the country, our country, not yours. That's, that's what partisanship becomes. That is contrary to Christianity. Christianity communicates even politics with the purpose of, I love you, and I want you to be close to God, and I want us to be close together. And that's the issue of Super Bowl. Like, by the way, people complained about the halftime every year. So just to me, don't, just yeah. don't, just pick something else. Go talk about a casino you don't like. Just do something else than the Super Bowl. But even if you saw something wrong there, if you're a Christian, you're communicating so that people who aren't Christians feel loved, feel understood, that you're actually trying to reach them, that you care about them. And then even when you give that post and someone disagrees, you don't attack them. You say, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. I value your perspective. I want to know more. This would be great to talk about because your goal is to build a relationship because people don't change without relationship, even if they're right in their opinion. If I don't believe you love me, I'm not going to listen to you. Mm. We all know that if a stranger gives you parenting advice, even if it's right parenting advice, you tend to reject it because you're a stranger and you don't know me. But if someone knows you and loves you and loves your kids and they say something like, you know, you're being a little harsh, you listen. At least I hope you do because you know they love you. Yeah. So this whole concept of Christians just communicating what's right and true and standing for the truth and all that stuff, if their goal isn't to actually reach people who are in death or darkness, they're not communicating Christ. Yeah. They're communicating politics, dogma, doctrine, legalism but not Christ. So I think that's the big thing that's happening in our culture. And it happened long before social media, but it's certainly become exaggerated as we can unify with people just like us, who, you know, I'm just going to offend everyone for the cause of the gospel. <laughs> Christ, that wasn't Christ's goal. Christ's goal was to love. His goal was to reconcile. And even when he confronted the Pharisees, it was to remove the blocks, the scales that were in their eyes in order that they could come to the Father. And even in the end of his life, all the things Christ said to everyone, in the end, it's still, Father, forgive them. It's dying for every sin and every sinner. And at some level, that heart is in us because Christ is in us. Yeah, yeah. So much of that, so many of those posts, like as you were talking about it, they're written for other like-minded people. <laughs> they're not written. Yeah. And and I said this about, uh, I, I said this when talking about a certain um pastor I mentioned on the show, you know, and I said, I understand the game that's being played here. Like this, this message is not for the people that it's, he says it's for, it's not for the people outside that like he's playing to his own choir, you know, he's playing to the people within his church already. And, you know, there is this element there where when we're writing something, it's like, who's this for, you know? And, and that's something that again, moderate, being a moderate puts you in some very sketchy situations with people, you know, and, um, you know, my show, I've interviewed people that are Christian and atheist and all, you know, all different perspectives and viewpoints. And every time I have any of those from any of the category left, right in between someone on the other side gets upset about it, you know, and gets angry about it. But my thing is like, my ultimate goal is to figure out how do we fix this? You know, when it comes to the topic of abuse, what is the truth? Uh, Cause obviously some of what we saw in our background, isn't it? So what is that truth? And, you know, I think producing content that is trying to help people do that is more helpful than what could be, you know, Hey, let's just be TMZ or Hey, let's just be whatever that is. And it's hard. Cause like, it's, it's very easy, especially when it's a clear injustice, it's easy to go full bore. Like, let's just take those easy swings. Um, it's a lot harder to be constructed. You know, if, I, if I bring this back even to, I mean, this is all good stuff. I was thinking one of the things that I, I put in the book posting piece is one of the reasons we don't reconcile anymore is because we don't have to. In the past, I'm not saying this is right, but in the past, let's say like before the car, how many networks of people did you really have before a car? You basically had people within walking distance. So you had a very you know few people that you could actually connect with. Mm-hmm. At your neighbors, the church down the road, there might be two churches in your town. So when a conflict occurred, you couldn't just replace those people with other people. If you didn't get along with your neighbors, you were in isolation. If mm-hmm. you didn't find a way to connect in your church, you're in isolation. Now, there was a lot of abuses there, right? I'm not saying this is positive because it could be a neighbor who could control yeah. everyone. And minority yeah. groups were just ruthlessly treated because they had no other community 
to be a part of. But we did also learn how to get along through conflict because we had to. People weren't more moral or righteous or God-fearing. They just had to figure out a way to exist in that church because there were only two churches in town and there was no internet to see, you know, church. First Baptist and Second yeah. Baptist. Yeah. So this is the, the dilemma, I think, for all of us is we, we've made people so replaceable. Are we using social media for networked individualism, like my individual needs being met? Or am I building a community and building the community of God, which was God's promise to Abraham that I'm going to make you into a people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. If that is our goal as Christians, then we're going to learn how to exist with people who disagree with us because we're not just trying to rally around like-minded people. We're trying to build the community of God. And in that sense, it's that the Jew reaches out to the Gentile, and the Gentile reaches out to the Jew, and the male reaches out to the female, and the female reaches out to you know young, poor, rich, old, and the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. It's That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, contending to reverse this Tower of Babel, where at some level we value the diversity that exists in the world, but we find a way to unite in Christ as we value that diversity. That reality is being sorely missed with social media. I pastor a church, and when people ask how the church is doing, they say something like, how's Evergreen doing? Which means that Evergreen has a health outside of me. It's not just Doug. It's a concept that's greater than me. With social media, people don't say, how's Twitter doing? How's Facebook doing? Because we primarily just use it for as much as it meets our individualistic needs. It's just, if it meets my needs, I'm on. If it doesn't, I'm off. I would encourage some of you to build a community that's bigger than yourself. There's something you're working towards. You might not even be able to articulate it. Uh, that's what this podcast is doing at some level, right? It's I'm trying to build a community of people recognizing their diversity and differences, but it's bigger than me. And because it's bigger than me, I'm going to learn how to exist with people who disagree with me because it's, it's not just about my individualistic needs. It's about what I think God wants to do in this community. So that's the challenge. And it's difficult, but I think it's worthy work to work for something bigger than our own egos. Yeah, definitely. Well, you may have answered my uh, my last question here, which is, I know you said you didn't have, want to have some dogmatic uh, check the boxes kind of approach to this. You don't want people to walk away saying, hey, here is, you know, Doug's steps to, uh, you know, having the perfect social media presence. But for someone who is picking up the book, you know, is there, I, I always imagine with every author, there's one thing that you had in your mind throughout the entire course of writing the book mm. that drove it. What's the one thing that if people walked away and said, like, I'm going to take this and apply this thing to my life or apply mm. this at least way of thinking, you know, maybe it's not an action step, but maybe it's a thought process. Uh, what would that be? And like I said, you may have even touched on it earlier. Boy, that's a good question. I, I, think a hundred things all the time, you know, I go in every different direction. So having me to pick one thing means those other things I can't talk about. List a hundred in order. I, well, you are a right, pastor, order, so right? we have a hundred points. Oh boy, you, you should hear me preach. I don't, <laughs> I, I think I had a point. Did I have a point? You know, but you know, one of the things for me is I strongly believe that my goal is to make room for the Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that the disciples often just did crowd control. Uh, the people swarmed around him. They pushed people out of the way so that Jesus could be in their midst. Uh, I found sometimes when I'll preach a message and someone will come up to me and go, Pastor, I just love what you said. And then they tell me something I didn't say. They just tell me something that was not even in the sermon, but it touched their heart. And I realized how unimportant my great ideas really are. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, if I can facilitate safe places where people can experience God's presence, hear God's voice. And I know that can have various meanings to people, but at some level, I've removed intermediaries. I've created a safe place where they can hear God, sense God, know God, come to God. Then I've done my part. So to me, with social media is we need to look at the ways that that helps us do that and the ways that it hinders that. And then to be intentional. And I ask people lots of intentionality. There's a peacemaking plan I ask everyone to develop. So a part of my peacemaking plan is to treat everyone like they're in the room with me. That's a practical thing. Would I talk about this person this way if they were in the room with me or they walked into the church doors of the church I serve? Even if they're a celebrity, would I say this about them? And if not, I'm not going to say it. Yeah. So that idea, you know, am I going to first find out God's heart? That's another part of my plan. Before I speak, find out God's heart. Uh, am I going to be motivated by reconciliation or something else? And so each of us to come up with those plans, but ultimately those plans are to make room for 
how God best leads us, because we can only give people what we've received. So Mm -hmm. ask yourself, does your social media communication reflect who you are, the core of what you love? Mm -hmm. Or is it kind of a twisted version of you that doesn't truly express your faith Mm -hmm. and who you truly are? And that's the goal, to get my social media presence to align with the best aspects of what I love about what God does in my life. And if people can do that, make room for God to shine in their life and their social media presence, then they've done well. And I think that might be one point or 20 points in one, but but that's what I'm sticking with. Well, and someone probably got a point that you didn't even say, like you said. <laughs> that's exactly so, it. Yeah. That's um, it. No, I, I absolutely love it. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. I, I would really encourage anyone who's listening, uh, you know, visit the link in the show notes, grab a paperback copy. If you want to hear Doug talk some more, you can download the audible version. Um, I did both. So I got to hear you and read at the same time. Uh, so we've got a very good one-sided uh, relationship built out, uh, but uh, you were going to throw in one more thing I saw. Oh, I just wanted to say this. I know with the ministry you do, you minister to a lot of people who have been hurt. And as a pastor, I know this doesn't change your hurt, but I want to say to anyone listening that I am sorry that you've been sinned against by people who should have loved you. And there's no excuse, there's no justification, and there's no explaining it away. And I want to acknowledge that some of you have been sinned against in such ways, it's hard for you to trust anyone. And I'm amazed that you're still opening your heart to learn from God and to learn from other people. And I just want to encourage you not to condemn yourself if it feels harder for you than other people. When people you trusted sinned against you, it's really hard to trust anyone again. So I just want to thank you for your work. I want to thank you for this podcast, for what you're doing. This is needed. Safe places to deal with the damage, but also to try to move forward as best as we know how. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, and, and like I said, I mean, for anybody listening, I mean, if any of the perspectives you heard were refreshing, and I think for anyone listening, hearing a pastor say that is refreshing. Um, even for me, I I deal with a lot of pastors every week, and uh, they're not sending the most refreshing messages or encouraging words. Um, it's always encouraging to me, and uh, for anybody who wants to hear more from that perspective, I mean, this this book is worth checking out. Uh, posting piece, like you said, there's the audible version, there's the paperback, um, and uh, or you can listen to this episode six or seven times, and you'll get the length of the audio book, I guess. Uh, but definitely grab a copy uh, at least to support. And and Doug, thank you so much for taking the time to to make this happen. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.